This is Ashley Hodge with the Sikkim 365 Ring by Spring podcast. I think we're on episode maybe six, maybe seven, somewhere in that neighborhood. I'm joined by Kendall Cout. We're going to rehash the uh, disastrous second half in Lawrence yesterday, but then we're going to look ahead to Kansas State and the road ahead for the Baylor Bears to continue to try to get a Big 12 title and get rings by spring. Uh, Kendall, uh, let's start off just by flushing this uh, Kansas game. I want to hear your thoughts. You were watching it live at Allen Fieldhouse. I was watching it on a plane, and then I watched it in an Uber on the way home, and then I watched it uh, when I got home. So uh, we probably have different perspectives. I want to hear yours first. Sure. So first, I want to give a shout-out to John Morris and Pat Nunley. I mentioned it in my post-game article, but wanted to once again shout those guys out. Uh, KU did not give me a media seat mm. uh, anywhere on, like, the media press area. Um not going to attack the University of Kansas for that, but I saw that, and I looked and saw there was one extra seat in radio area by Pat and John, and I was like, you know what, this is kind of asking a lot of them, but I'll just ask, hey, you all mind if I sit there? So they allowed that to happen. So that is a long way of saying, appreciate that by them, and it was a great way to watch Baylor the first half look dominant, and then to see one of the, the craziest sights I've seen that collapsed. When it went from 17 down to 13, I still felt like, hey, Baylor's got a real shot to do this. But as soon as he got to a seven-point lead, I not only felt like Baylor was going to lose, I felt like they were going to get blown out in that second half. And so we can start off – I think let's start defensively. Maybe, actually, does that sound good to you? <laughs> that sounds good. Hey, by the way, um, I know you have not only saw this live, but I, I in texting with you, you also rewatched the game. Is that correct? I have, so I've watched the Matthew Loves Basketball. Okay, okay. I was just going to mention, we, we don't, Sikkim 365 doesn't provide hazard pay, so I just wanted to, you to know that before you <laughs> do that again. But um, I, I did the same thing. I watched the Matthew Loves Basketball uh, highlights. I, I couldn't put myself through watching the whole, the whole thing again. But, um, yeah, so let's, let's, hear, let's hear what you saw firsthand. Uh, defensively, everything went wrong in the second half. Your analytics does a good job sometimes telling you that your eyes are not lying to you about how bad it is. And – Baylor gave up 1.72 points per possession in the second half, which easiest way I can think to talk about that is that is the equivalent expected value to intentionally fouling an 86% free throw shooter. <laughs> say, say that again. What, how, what was the points per possession? 1.72. Oh, my gosh. That is ridiculously bad. That, yes, the KU had that game easily won with about three and a half, four minutes left. So if that's a tighter game at the end, KU has a shot to maybe get to, like, 1.8. Whew. Yeah, it's just un- unbelievable. And so the things that stuck out to me, and I'm going to have an article up either uh, tonight or tomorrow. Uh, Jack and I did a uh, collaboration yesterday at the game, uh, hung out before it, uh, talked a little bit after. So he's been doing a great job for the site and editing. And so I think we're kind of debating, hey, do we put it out still tonight or do we just wait until tomorrow? Right. But a few things really stick out to me on the defensive end, actually. Number one, I really like Keontae George when I've talked to him. Uh, he did a great job on the post-game show with you. His family seems great, both from what you've told me and what I've heard from some people on the staff. But that's all to say that his defensive performance yesterday was just not up to love what should be at. Uh, he got deep middle two different times by the first time Dewan Harris, the second time Bobby Pettiford. And Deontay George is legitimately a top 10 pick in the NBA draft. What he did offensively in hitting some of those threes, I think three big ones in a row in that first half. Had some nice shots in the second half as well. But if you're Keontae George, you are a top 10 pick, and you have one of the best dunks in Baylor history in the first half, you just can't get beaten 
by a man named Bobby Pettiford. <laughs> sounds, you know, like an extra in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Uh, so that was not good. And I don't know if it was because earlier in the year he got some fouls reaching in. But he does this thing now where he kind of puts his hands up when guys drive past him. And that just cannot continue for Keontae. And I, I say these things not because I like criticizing a guy who is supremely talented, who chooses to come to Baylor, who will meet with the media. But just to say that, like, if you were that good, you just shouldn't be having those things happen. And so I don't think Keontae's going to look at that game and say, hey, any criticism of me is not fair. Or when, you know, film review happens, I don't want to hear it. I think he knows the things I'm saying because they're going to go over these things. But that was problem one. Problem two is Baylor has to decide, you know, is Jonathan Chalmachachua, as much as he's improved offensively on the perimeter as a shooter, do they want to keep switching him out to guard perimeter players? Uh, he is not quite as quick or spry coming off of a tragic injury like that. And I think it may not be good to put John on an island against guards as though it is a year ago. I don't begrudge the Baylor staff for doing that. You're coming off of a major injury. You're just getting John inserted for the first time. But it felt like Kansas targeted John quite a bit. So I don't think that's sustainable. And then Baylor's pick and roll coverage still feels like it's off a little bit. And so those were the two things that stuck out at the top. I can mention five or six other things, actually. But I've talked for a while. Those stuck out to me. Defensively, what were you looking at from your perspective in so many sites? No, I, yeah, I agree with you on what you saw with uh, Keontae. I thought his defense was really bad in the second half, particularly. Um, you know, and, but he, but he, and, you know, you, you score one point seven two points per possession. He wasn't the only one. I, I just was really disappointed in the competitive uh, grit. You know, I, I, I let me get this out of the way. You know, Kansas would have won that game in the second half the way they dominated, uh, no matter what the officiating was. But I do think, you know, you can see why there's so many conspiracy theories about Kansas. You know, there's probably three or four extremely weak foul calls uh, going to the hoop and you know earlier in the game I, I just remember two specifically on John where there was no contact or just minimal contact that they called and ones and and put you know either KJ Adams or, or Jalen Wilson at the line I believe you know and, and then there was I noticed a few pushes in the back you know on TV um, you know from Kansas so you know, I can understand the frustration. I, I think Baylor let it get in its head too much, and they and they probably were like, well, we can't even, like, be physical, so we'll just, like, you know, play token defense. And, and then they just became way too passive and, and just let themselves get punked. But the trend is clear. I mean, they are getting toasted in most games in the paint, and uh, that's not a good recipe for success in March. I mean, they're going to have to try to shore that up as much as possible. Uh, you know, defensively going to have to show a lot more grit than they're showing you know they they're so good offensively that they just think that they can outscore people and and that's worked a lot during this uh, ten out of eleven game winning streak. But then there's been two games where they played equal or better competition where uh, it has it hasn't worked. You know against Texas and Kansas and 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 to uh, you know reach their goals they're going to have to um, you know do a better job. Uh, starting tomorrow night, you know, or not tomorrow night, Tuesday night against Kansas State, because Kansas State will absolutely blow them out if they don't bring a lot more competitive fire to the plate against that team. We'll, we can talk about that game later. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just disappointing. You know, I, and, and the, you know, the other thing I'll make a comment is um, an impartial observer t uh, relayed to me that I, – I, I'm just curious if you saw this – that he said one of those rims was uh, a little bit crooked. Like on, on the side that Kansas shot at the first half – and the side that Baylor shot at the second half, that there was an uneven rim. Did you notice that at all? You know, I didn't notice that, but that could make some sense for why, like, 
Jalen Wilson and Jalen Bridges both missed really easy layups. Um, and, like, Gertie Dick wasn't hitting threes, and Baylor was missing shots. So, uh, I don't rule that out as a possibility. I did not notice that personally, though. Yeah, I wonder what um, Baylor's points per possession were in the first half. I bet it wasn't that far off from that 1.72. Probably, I mean, not that good, but... Yeah. I want to say, actually, if I remember correctly, without having it in front of me, because I don't have stats broadcast up right now, yep. I think Baylor might have gone from like 1.4 in the first half to like 0.72 in the second half and ended up at like 1.06 total. Okay. And Kansas was probably almost flipped. You know, they were probably under one point per possession or, or maybe at one point per possession and then 1.72 in the second half. Uh, interesting. I mean, just, you know, who knows? Obviously, that affects both teams equally unless one team knows about it <laughs> beforehand, you know, uh, not to be a conspiracy theorist. But, um, you know, it's hard to win there. And Baylor had their shot, certainly got off to a great start in the first half, but uh, did not bring the competitive fight in the second half. Let's talk about uh, trying to get the split against uh, Kansas State. I, I, I thought going into this road trip, if you could split these two games and, you know, win one of two, uh, the, the Bears would be in really good shape, you know, for a conference championship, at least splitting a conference championship. So that means they got to get the win at, you know, Kansas State. Uh, they've already been defeated by them, you know, in Waco. But uh, Kansas State's, you know, offensively come down from earth a little bit, you know, and they're not playing as well offensively, uh, still playing pretty good defense. Uh, how do you see that matchup, Kendall? I think it's a game Baylor should win. Uh, I picked Baylor to lose at Kansas. I didn't predict it would be like that. But that built some credibility for me picking Baylor against K-State not being a homer thing. Uh, I picked – Baylor to lose that game, and I know Baylor was feeling really confident coming into that contest, so that was just me saying, I basically have a rule now after last year, when Baylor was playing great basketball and got blown out by KU, that I just don't pick Baylor and Allen Fieldhouse, so I think that could be a turn-the-page game, much like Gonzaga was after the Marquette debacle, I think Baylor can do that as well, as you mentioned Ashley, losing in Waco I think will really inspire Baylor, I don't think, I think Baylor as a staff, they love Jerome Tang, but they're probably not going to want to have Scott Drew start 0-2, against Jerome Tang, which right. allow for a lot of trash talk in the offseason. Uh, and if you're Scott Drew, you just have to take the trash talk and if you start 0-2 against Jerome Tang, uh, it'd be good-natured trash talking. I'm sure no one knows too. Uh, you have to take it. Uh, additionally, though, and what you mentioned, actually, why I think K-State's kind of struggling down the stretch is Jerome Tang didn't have any options. But I brought this up with a member of Baylor staff where I was like, you know, can K-State be sustainable – having to play Marcus or Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson 37, 38 minutes a night and asking them to score every time down. And somebody on Baylor staff brought up, well, what else are they going to do? He has no other card to play besides I got these two guys. One I got to stay in K-State. The other one I was able to land from Florida. That was a great job by Jerome Tang there. And he just has to run them into the ground. And that's even one of my worries for Baylor is down the stretch, they're not going to have to play Flagler 38, 39 minutes a night. Well, K-State's been doing that all season for two right. guys. Yep. And so with how worn down they are and going from a Saturday to a Tuesday turnaround, that should work against K-State. K-State, I thought, hit a lot of shots they shouldn't have hit. And if Ishmael doesn't make a crazy three at the end of that game, Baylor wins in Waco when they weren't playing very oh, yeah. good basketball to start January. So, same defense. So, for all my – lately I've been on the – I'd like this to be the final season of Baylor playing no middle. For all of that talk I'm giving, K-State's still a no-middle team. Baylor's done a great job besides Iowa State against the no-middle teams this season. I think Baylor's going to score a ton of points on Tuesday night. I still worry about the defense, but I think Baylor will, as we mentioned earlier, actually, I think it's an outscoring game, and I think Baylor gets that done. I think they win in Manhattan. Yeah, it'll be great. It's not, I mean, that fan base is energized, but it is an earlier tip. It's a 6 uh, p.m. tip. 
Uh, so I would think the crowd might be a little bit late arriving or, or, you know, not every, uh, but in the, in the seats, uh, for tip off, um, is, I mean, is that what your expectation is? Uh, also Kendall? I think that's possible. Uh, people who may not know Kansas geography, uh, Manhattan is like Waco only a hundred times worse in terms of, uh, a lot. So a decent number of K-State fans live in Kansas city, which right. is suburbs are about two hours away. Sure. Manhattan, yeah. Wichita, a good 90 minutes away. So, yeah, a lot of the K-State fans don't live there. But at the same time, not a lot going on once you get about outside of Lawrence, Kansas, and head west. Not a lot going on in Kansas. So if you like K-State basketball, it's not like living in Texas where you can go to Dallas. you got a lot going on otherwise. It's warm all the time. There's a reason they really invest in Jerome Tang early because K-State is life out in western Kansas. So I was expected to be a sellout eventually, but it might be a later rising crowd, as you mentioned, because, again, I can't stress enough. Manhattan, Kansas, it's not for me. <laughs> Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Manhattan, Kansas, Ames, Iowa. I, I get it. Um, so we're going to use it. It's like K like, uh, State, Sioux Falls there. I don't know if we had a character limit, but that guy probably ended up staking me in a parking lot in Denver at first and second round action site. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, you know they. I mean, obviously, Kansas State's had a tremendous season. Same record as Baylor. They're but they are eight and six in the league versus nine and five for Baylor. Uh, so this is a game that, you know, if Baylor can win it and, you know, they put themselves in a, in a good position down the stretch, Oklahoma State, after playing such good basketball, has really, you know, crashed uh, the last few games after, you know, getting blown out by Kansas. And then, of course, TCU just scored 100 on them. And, you know, they're sp- supposedly the best defense in the in the Big 12. And, um, you know, Kansas State and Iowa State are also trending down a little bit. You know, Kansas State got the big win against Iowa State on Saturday. Uh, but before that, they had had some struggles. I think they had lost uh, four of their last five. So, four, four, they've lost four of their last six, um, you know, including, you know, some, some losses to Oklahoma, you know, by 14 and, and Texas Tech uh, by eight points, you know, so – some of the bottom teams in the league, uh, you know, but they, but they are much better at home. Uh, I don't think they've lost at home. I'm going to, they lost to Texas at home. So Texas got them at home and that, and that's the only one. Uh, so hopefully Baylor can, can do the same, you know, um, you know, so if, if, if the bears can get that done, they've got three games, two of them at home. And then the one at Oklahoma state that are all really winnable games and, and they could easily, uh, you know, find themselves, at 13 and five, you know, uh, or at least 12 and six. And, and I, I do think 12 and six probably shares the title, assuming that, you know, Texas or, um, you know, TCU, both of those teams can, can protect home court against Kansas, which is a big assumption. You know, I mean, Kansas could certainly win all those games, but uh, I do think TCU is probably going to win tomorrow night. And I think Texas is probably going to beat them in Austin. It's a reasonable take, actually. I'm a little worried KU could run to the table from here. They look so good in that second half. All this Kevin McCuller and Dewan Harris are hurt. Don't buy it. I don't right. buy it. I think these guys are totally fine. They moved around quite well after the game. I I don't know. Something just tells me that Texas is going to blow that final game this season. We've seen it before when Oklahoma could win the Big 12. Iowa State could win the Big 12. A lot of teams blow it late against Kansas when they have a chance to win the title. I would think one of those teams will pop them. But I'm worried that Kansas is going to take at least one of them. They'll Mike Miles back, and Mike Miles we trust. So 
maybe it could happen. I don't think Baylor can lose again. But but Kansas uh, hasn't been swept. Has, has Kansas ever been swept in Big 12 play? I don't think they ever have. I think they were by Oklahoma State a couple years ago. Oh, interesting. Okay. And they were the COVID year by Texas. Right. That's right. That's right. Uh, who also blew them out at home, uh, actually. So, so yeah, that, I mean, maybe TCU gets it done tomorrow night. That's, I mean, it's a tougher place to play than I think they get credit for. And, and certainly with Mike Miles back and Damian Ball, they're, you know, they're very capable of, of beating Kansas. Uh, yeah, we, I, I don't think we're putting much hope that West Virginia or Texas Tech is going to walk into Allen Fieldhouse and get a victory. Stranger things have happened, but that's, that's probably not going to happen. There aren't many stranger than West Virginia winning an Allen Fieldhouse. I don't know. Did that ever happen under Huggy Bear? I don't think so. I can't remember one. I mean, they've been so close. I mean, they've had 15-point leads evaporate in the last eight minutes, kind of like what we saw happen. You know, I've, I remember some of those Javon Carter teams that were up on them big and, and then just couldn't get the job done at the end. But, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, Texas Tech, though, you know, they're playing better basketball. They've won their last three. Uh, games in a row, beat Kansas State and Texas at home, went on the road, beat West Virginia. They've got Oklahoma, you know, on the road. Then they've got TCU at home. If they win those next two, you know, and they're rolling when they go into Kansas, I mean, you know, that that's a team that very well could make the tournament. The Big 12 tournament is what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I saw uh, Jeff <laughs> You're Taylor, like, what? Like, teams on the field of 68, he was like, Oh, if Tech gets to seven wins, they can make the NCAA tournament because Iowa State got to seven last year. And then I thought, did no one show Jeff Goodman Texas Tech's non <laughs> It's awful. Uh, their best win yeah, is, is, is what, Eastern Washington now? I guess Eastern Washington's now their best win on, in the non-conference. On a neutral, Ashley, would you take Eastern Washington or Georgetown? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great question. I, I, I You know, I, Specrec, the, Eastern Washington had Specrec, um who was uh, doing some damage against Texas Tech, but uh, I might I might lean them just because of spec rack, but um, I don't know. It's it, that's a tough question. They did beat it's LSU. Cool. They beat LSU. We got we got. Oh, I guess it is fair. I did forget about that game, but so funny that like Tech scheduled Georgetown and Louisville, thinking like, okay, we can as much grief as I've given Baylor for please stop scheduling the sub three hundred Ken Palm teams. The Chris Beard Mark Adams philosophy is give us every sub three hundred Ken Palm team. And then four real schools, and those four real schools included losing to a mediocre Ohio State, beating Georgetown, and beating Louisville, and probably the worst year in program history. And it's just like, man, if you schedule that poorly, I I, I have no sympathy for you because like you can a little bit feel for Tech if they were like, you know, add to our bid sheet that how could we have imagined that historic Georgetown and historic Louisville would be this bad? And it's like, well, if you play schools I didn't know were universities to drum up wins i have no sympathy for you if louisville turns out to be hot garbage tough scene for you to me texas tech at eight and ten i don't know if that should be an NCAA tournament team because i cannot stress enough i have never seen a power conference team play a worse non-conference schedule than texas tech that's the worst <laughs> non-conference schedule i've ever seen in my life even with if you expected louisville to be good if i were in any way involved with making that schedule I would have said I am resigning if this is our final basketball schedule because if you expect to contend for a tournament spot, I, I just – I'm appalled. I'm genuinely appalled. The two things I'm appalled by are that Texas Tech played that non-con schedule and anyone who says North Carolina right now belongs in the bubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, North Carolina. It, it's funny. Um, Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander had some pretty good shit going about uh, 
how uh, Chris Holtman has um, totally wrecked uh, North Carolina basketball this year because, you know, they were like – that was their only quad one win. And now because Ohio State has lost um, twelve or 13 of their last 14 Big 12 – Big 10 games, they're no longer a quad one win. They, they've, they've, you know, gone into to the quad two range. Uh, because of their abysmal record in the Big Ten, but uh, yeah, been been a tough season for Ohio State Buckeye fans and uh, North Carolina fans. Um, you know, the, the Titus and Tate podcast is it's been noticeably absent the last few weeks ever, ever since they left Fox. I, I don't think they've recorded an episode, and I don't blame them. I mean, this is not turning out to be a fun college basketball season for those guys for sure. I didn't even know that they had left Fox. Yeah, I mean, I, and to my knowledge, I don't, I don't think they've recorded an episode in a couple of weeks. So uh, I know they're doing something different, but uh, uh, unless I've missed it, their their episodes have been noticeably absent because it was in my rotation every week to try to listen to them, Rothstein, you know, usually Andy Katz, and um, of course, uh, I own college basketball podcast, Phil sixty eight. I mean, I, w- I would listen to all those college basketball podcasts and. And, you know, sometimes I'll listen to the Big Big 12 stuff, um, Heartland. Uh, but that's, you know, uh, Titus and Tate has been absent for sure the last couple of weeks. Yeah, for me it is. If people ever ask, like, hey, what's the great podcast? I on College Basketball is the best national one. Yep. Field of 68 can do the best job, like, really breaking down stuff live and have immediate reactions nationally. Uh, ring by spring. Me, Titus and Tate. Ring by spring. Obviously, even if you're not a Baylor fan, the, the life advice we give interspersed. <laughs> How you cannot listen to this life advice? Like, uh, you know, a down bad moment for me, I end up at a at a bar after I've seen all the Baylor folks that I could see uh, who, who didn't play and didn't coach in that game. I just saw a couple other associated Baylor folks uh, who got home pretty early, go to a bar, meet a nice lady. Uh, but then the next morning, I'm like, you know what? After that Baylor game, am I really at a point in my life where I should be trying to help a gal 10 years younger than me and pretending I'm into anthropology? I'm like, I, I got to just get a wife and kids. Like, I, I, I can't keep doing this. And so I want to thank Baylor for that second half. Without that, I would have been chasing the night. I would have then woken up the next day saying, I'm not feeling fulfilled. And so like how Baylor needed that down bad moment to feel fulfilled to beat K-State, this down bad moment for me could lead to real change as well. So spin zone, the KU loss is going to change so many Baylor men's lives. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah, so I was uh, in North Carolina. I went to see a client. Uh, you know, I booked this trip right after the Kansas State loss, and I didn't even really even look at who we were playing on Saturday. I just knew it was an away game. And so I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. And then the airfare was cheaper if I st- stayed over a Friday night. And so I went and saw my sister uh, Friday after I saw the client on Thursday. And so I'm flying back Saturday, and I pay $19, you know, because, of course, it's a huge game. I'm watching college game day in the hotel. I'm all excited to get to the airport watching Texas Tech, West Virginia at the airport, get on the plane, pay the $19 for the uh, Wi-Fi so I can watch Baylor and Kansas, you know, tip off. So I'm watching it, and I see the whole first half on the plane, and, of course, I'm just fired up. I mean, we're up by 13. I'm rushing through, you know, the airport to get my Uber, and the second half starts about the time I get the Uber. And uh, I get the most, uh, you know, nicest lady, but super chatty. I'm like, hey, I'm really into this basketball game. If I don't chat much, uh, that's the reason why. 
and she took that as as a license to just tell me her life story and you know to really press the envelope so i'm so of course i'm watching the comeback and i'm getting pissed off while while i'm watching the comeback and i'm trying to pretend like i care about uh you know things going on in her life which i should as as another human being but uh this was not a good moment for me so then i get home and you know by that time kansas is up maybe 8 points and so i get to watch the final uh part of the game on my television and and uh you know puts me in a bad mood the rest of the day but uh which you know it says more about me than than anything else but but yeah i mean it there was it was just a atrocious second half and your stat of the 1.72 points per possession kind of cements how bad it was that's that's something else for sure and look i've had hundreds of bad nights in Lawrence before so it's okay to have one bad night for the rest of the baylor men uh, it's going to be okay <laughs> it will be and you know it's uh, we got to look at the big picture. You know th- these um, the national championship team got blown out of Kansas and ended up winning the national championship uh, last year. Kansas gets blown out on their home court by Kentucky, and they end up winning the national championship. So this is not a defining moment. It's a disappointing second half, but we saw what we showed what we were capable of in the first half. Uh, we can certainly redeem this by winning at Kansas State, and then we got to protect home court. And uh, still win in Stillwater, and I mean, if you do that, you're still have a pretty good shot at number one seed. You probably have to win the Big Twelve tournament to get there, or at least make it to the finals. But uh, you know, all your goals are in front of you. But if you get that one or two seed, you're you're really shaping up for you know a strong run at the Final Four. Uh, but there's a lot to clean up. Would you agree? I I kind of feel like the upside is going to be determined. I mean, first of all, Keontae's got to buy in every game on the defensive end. I mean, there, there was a play, one play that was really pretty bad is he went in the lane. He thought he got contact. He put up a shot. He missed the shot, and he kind of threw his hands up in the air and didn't even go back on defense. <laughs> he just stood there in the lane like, you know, like frustrated, bad body language, and, and he wasn't the only one. I mean, we, we had obviously everybody was just kind of loafing and, and not giving full uh, – effort you know in that second half but that that tape has got to be brutal man i bet i bet that film watch is brutal but but don't my my point i was going to make is do you think that the upside is going to be determined by probably langston love and jonathan chalmachachua their consistency over these next seven games the four remaining games that uh we have in the in the uh big 12 season and then hopefully three games to get to the championship of the big 12 tournament uh, you know, their consistency in those seven games may determine our, our upside and our path in, in uh, March Madness. I think that's very reasonable. I think Jalen Bridges could be there as well. Yep. I, you know, we'll see. Baylor has not wanted to go to seven in the rotation. They stayed pretty well at eight with Caleb Lohner still in it. I don't know if Baylor's going to feel comfortable dropping him out and saying, Langston Love, you now play backup power forward. It's just going to be Jalen and Langston. I still think deep in my love of small ball all the time, I might just tell Caleb, you played your last minute at power forward. I want you to learn everything you can about center over the next two weeks. At some point in the NCAA tournament, we're going to break out you at the five. Because I think if there was one counter Baylor could have done yesterday, it might have been inserting Caleb at the five and just saying, all right, listen, we're going to go out of left field. KU's made a huge comeback. We're having trouble with John and Flo today with foul trouble and everything else. Uh, Josh isn't quite ready yet. That's the one other wild card I think could still exist. But if you're Baylor and you're like, look, there are basic defensive mistakes happening. We don't have time to right. plot out some unique Caleb lineup. I can respect that too. But I still hold out hope for the Caleb at the five. So if, you're, if the Caleb owner nation is upset 
that I am saying I think he should stop playing power forward. Just know that I am the leader of the band for some time we need to see Caleb at the five. But I do agree that Langston's play, how well John can defend on the perimeter, and then I think Jalen Bridges will probably have to have a game where he scores 10-plus, and that round of 32 and on will be important. Because I looked at the Torvik stat that says, what teams are you most similar to? The teams Baylor are similar to basically all either lost in the round of 64 or the Elite Eight, which I think is kind of telling with this Baylor team that you can see him getting popped in a 3-14 game, similarly to that Duke team back in the day that lost to uh, – maybe it wasn't the Lehigh team, but it was one of the other ones around that era in a either 3-14 or 4-13 game. I don't think Baylor will drop to a four line, but they'd be in that range where they could drop a game if they just shoot poorly with how they defend. Yeah. But then you feel like if Baylor gets past a game, if they're not playing a team that gets very hot from three, I could see Baylor just blowing through somebody in the round of 32 in the Sweet 16 and then meeting a KU or Texas-type team and just finding out the defense isn't quite there. So defense has got to improve to make a Final Four, but some people like the joke I make, but it's a lot more fun to cover basketball than it is to you know be writing about Oh, can six and five Baylor win another football game? So I'm just I'm just gonna say it. You know, it's, it's still a lot better place to be covering Baylor basketball than it is covering uh, some other sports nationally. Yeah, hey, we got to do a quick shout out to the uh, women's softball team beating number one Oklahoma, who's uh, probably better than our national Olympic uh, team. You know, so that's a huge accomplishment. Congratulations to them getting a four three win over Oklahoma in softball. Um, but uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this today, Kendall, when I looked to the future of Baylor basketball. And, you know, I do think that, uh, you know, Keontae's probably gone. We, we assume that. Flo's gone. And I'm, I'm assuming Adam Flagler's probably gone as well. Uh, so if everybody else comes back that we think, and, you know, we'll have some transfers, I think get the, you, know, you can probably draw your own conclusions based on who's not playing. But everybody else comes back, and another year of experience in the system. Uh, D'Antoine Grimes may give us something, you know, defensively that, that we don't quite have right now. And then I think the three freshmen we got coming in, they're freshmen, but they are really kind of built for much better defense, kind of like what Alabama has. You know, they're they're long, they're quick, they seem to care about defense. You know, Jacoby Walter, I think, is a terrific defender. Uh, Eves Missy is a really good defender. And then, uh, you know, I think Merrill Little's got a lot of uh, uh, potential as a defender too. So, I mean, I, I, I do think that we'll be better on defense next year because we'll be longer, we'll be more experienced, we'll have, we'll have guys back that will – you know, be another year in the system. And I think they will be, you know, more similar to what we saw in the national championship teams, you know, just not, just not as many new parts, you know, trying to integrate into a defensive system. Yeah. And I still think if I were Baylor, I'd probably portal a guard. Yeah. I don't know if that means you got a portal point guard or not. I think there'll also be some discussion if you're LJ, he might want to come back and say, Hey, I don't have to be full-time point guard, but I at least want kind to do what Adam did. Role. Yeah. Kind of, kind of what Adam yeah. did this year. Yeah. It would make sense. Yep, I could see that. So I, I do believe in that team. I was talking to David Kay, uh, who we all love, about Baylor next year. And he's so hyped about both this year's team and next year's team. And he was just like, no, these are good players. They'll be – Jacoby Walter's going to be a good player when he comes in as well. So I agree. Should be a good team next year, but I think they got to probably portal the guard. And then we'll see if they portal one more wing, depending on if Jalen Bridges comes back. I, I've been on that team that I've always said, I think Adam is for sure gone. But I'm probably a little bit more optimistic that Jalen will be back than maybe some of the other folks are. Right. Yep. Good stuff. Ring by spring. Offense wins championships, but we need better defense. Let's hope we get it at Kansas State on Tuesday night. You've been listening to a Ring by Spring podcast with Ashley Hodge and Kendall Cout, Sick and Bears.